Welcome to our Nurture Natter podcast, voicing the things that matter to your community. Hi, I'm Charlotte, mum to two, founder of Nurture. I'm passionate about creating real connection and the art of bringing people together from all walks of life. I do this alongside my co-founders, Clara Wilcox and Ben Birchall. Hi, I'm Clara, a mum of two, career coach by day and a chocolate obsessed bookworm by night. Hi, I'm Ben. Family life and community are really important to me. I like to keep busy, sometimes so much so that I lose count of how many businesses and projects I'm involved in and even how many children I have. Nurture Community CIC engages the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation and increase community spirit. The bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community a collective of souls who run a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness, bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online through our Facebook group, Nurture Natter, or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram and Twitter to find us at Nurture Ideas. Today on Nurture Natter, we're again joined by one of our fabulous community partners. And this time around, we have Chris and Ellie from Little Sprouts. Little Sprouts Forest School recently shared a great blog with us about the importance of spending time outside with our families. You can find the blog on our website. Following on from the blog, today we'll be chatting with Chris and Ellie about why it's so important to spend time outside. I've been teaching for just over five years now, teaching at primary school. And that's where I started my sort of forest school journey. Um, I got qualified and started teaching forest schools in school to different classes. And as soon as I saw the benefits and the way it was changing these children for the better, I just knew that I had to do more with it. And what I also found on the flip side was that there wasn't much forest school provision around Litchfield and locally. This is about five years ago now. Obviously, it sprouted up, excuse the pun. So recently only it's only about a year year and a half old started little sprouts forest school uh, we're based in heart of the country in swinfern and we're trying to make forest school accessible for everyone children of all ages just to get them outdoors in nature and and get all those benefits that we're probably going to talk about on the podcast so you are obviously new to little sprouts forest school I am. I'm so new. I've never actually delivered a session. So I work with Chris in a primary school. I'm a primary school teacher too. I've got about 15 years experience teaching primary school children. And then I became aware of forest school. I've always had a personal love for being outdoors, which comes from my upbringing. I started to notice the difference that being outdoors made to children's behaviour and how they felt about themselves. And so I got really interested then in this approach. So I trained as a forest school leader through my school after badgering my head. Um, And then Chris joined our school recently in the last year. And on paper, before he actually started, he just, we had so much in common already that I knew we were gonna get on really well. And when he told me about Little Sprouts, I got really excited. And then just before the apocalypse happened, I agreed to join Chris and trying to help to expand some of the provision that Little Sprouts can offer. And then lockdown. It's really interesting that you said that you saw the benefits like straight away. So what were those benefits that you kind of witnessed as a teacher? It's just such a different environment 
than in the classroom. And so children who perhaps in the classroom feel restricted or feel that they aren't meet, able to meet the expectations of the classroom, suddenly when they're outside, they're the ones that flourish. I used to take children in year six to Brintacilio in Wales. I don't know if you know it near London, no. And that's an outward bounds kind of adventure. We used to go for a whole week. And it was just amazing that you would really see the children that had really low self-esteem in school suddenly found their voices, took up space and gained so, so, so much from it. Do you think that translates back into the classroom as well? So it works together or are you very much that you believe that it should all be outdoors? I certainly think there should be more space and time in the UK curriculum for being outdoors. I personally, I feel really lucky to teach forest school in a school, although there are things about that that make it difficult because you, as a, because I teach my own class as well, I really can see the difference I think that's diff- more difficult if you're a forest school provision coming into a school to really know how it translates to the classroom. But I know the difference it makes. I think it's a really interesting point that you're talking about sort of the environment that kids are learning in, because uh, I think as as parents who just are, are in the process of going through lockdown and something we talked about, I think, in a previous podcast is is the impact of environment. So in the past about parents not putting pressure on themselves because kids aren't used to learning in a home environment and they don't associate the space uh, and the things around them with learning. I think it's just a really sort of smooth analogy to kind of say, well, we, that's true of the classroom as well. So if there are negative connotations with the classroom for a child, taking them to another space then just flips them out of that and makes them think differently and can only be positive. So it's just, I think we'll all relate to that a lot more since lockdown uh, and how an environment impacts upon you. Yeah, def- I definitely agree with that as well. And a lot of people, if they've never heard about forest schools, they sometimes say, well, what does it bring? What does it give you? And it's not necessarily what you can gain from it. It's what you can lose. Uh, so you can, it reduces these. I'm just reading off some, it, it, you could reel off a whole list of studies, uh, but it can reduce, it shows here that studies have shown uh, being in nature or even viewing scenes of nature can reduce anger, anxiety, stress. Uh, spending time in nature reduces your blood pressure, your heart rate, your muscle tension. Uh, it reduces the production of stress hormones. So it's not only what it can give you, it's also what it can sort of take away for children and adults. So I'm the, I'm the research geek out of the two of us, aren't I, Chris? <laughs> Anything Chris says, I'm like, yeah, I read a study about that. And so um, there is actually studies in just looking at fractals you know the patterns that we find in nature and that shows that they reduce just looking at them reduces stress levels by up to 60 percent also a fantastic bit of research that i've recently come across by a lady called linda geddes and she's written a book called chasing the sun and it's about the science of daylight and the effect that that has on us it's really fascinating um and she talks about circadian rhythms and how that getting more daylight can improve our sleep as well as all the things that Chris has listed. The question we're going to be posing this week on the podcast is what is the main benefit of being outside for you and your family? So the main benefit of being outside for me and my family is a sense of freedom. The main benefit of being outside for me and my family is a change in location and a chance to stretch our legs. The main benefit for me and my fiancé and my uh, little puppy Nigel is a sense of being in the present. 
The main benefit for me and my family of being outside is the opportunity for creativity and, and exercise too. I would say the main benefit for me particularly of being outside with my family is it's much less noisy outside than it is inside uh, and that gives me headspace and time to think and um, a little bit more tolerance. I think it's interesting as well sort of reflecting on both of my kids how they're learning right now everything pretty much has been done online and they've never spent even the teenager has never spent as much time in front of a screen as she has done right now and my youngest is you know she's a visual learner but she also needs movement to help her concentrate so she the way she processes information is to move to sort of block out the incoming so she can concentrate which obviously doesn't really help within a normal classroom situation because you're supposed to usually be sat down and there's that element of it as well when when you're outside and you're moving actually helps certain people learn in a much better environment it's so interesting about sort of the stress you know I found it myself I know when I haven't been outside I know when I haven't gone for a walk because I can feel it <laughs> I can feel you know you can feel the tension and I always think back to when we were kids you know whenever it was a hot day and possibly because the teachers couldn't cope with the heat in the classroom you're like come on let's take you know let's take the lesson outside and sit on the grass and you, you know you would feel different you feel free you feel more creative and my eldest um, primary school had woods attached to the back of their um, the back of their school and they'd be out there all the time and I'd always know because of how she'd be when she came back in what she'd remember how expressive she was and it's um you know as we've talked about before we've you know as parents we've never paid such close attention to the way our kids learn like we have in the last three months and it's nice to see that for, for those of us that need the proof that it works that we've actually got the information out there we can access as well when I was at school there wasn't as much significance on how people learn it was like a one way of learning which I really struggled with so to hear Eleanor and Chris talk about these different ways of learning is like really exciting because I really want that for my children as well so just by exploring this with you guys is really um uplifting actually to think that it's so different no, it's, it's really interesting. Just at lunchtime today, uh, Ellie and I were talking about this, weren't we? It's a yeah. coincidence. And talking about stillness. And actually, um, some people, including myself, I find uh, stillness in movement, ironically. So if I'm on the phone, I'm one of these people, I'll be uh, walking across the sofa, I'll be doing a headstand on the bed, <laughs> like I'm just pacing back and forth, but I'm on the phone, I'm fully engaged in the conversation. But like, that's how I, that's how I learn best. And that's how I have to move. And I find with forest schools, you, you can see that in children. And in the classroom, if a child was banging a stick against their table repetitively for 10 minutes, you'd probably tell them off. But at forest schools, it gives them that chance to almost get it out their system. It's what that child needs at that time. And you can find then that's usually why when they go back to a classroom in an indoor setting, they are calmer and the more engaged because they've almost got that out their system um, and they've been able to fi find stillness in movement, bit of an oxymoron. Absolutely. And just building on what Chris said, that our expectations of the children as adults are different outside as well. So like you said, if they were banging a stick in the classroom, absolutely not. But outside, you almost want them to, to be doing that. And when we first take children out for their first forest school sessions, because we've, we've introduced it in reception this year for the first time at our school, um, there's lots of intentional parts to forest school. So 
for example, you might be talking to the children and you're actually actively encouraging, you're picking up sticks and snapping them to give them that visual cue that it's okay to pick things up. It's okay to manipulate things out here. And you, you see them mirror that back to you. Um, and it's like you're giving them that visual permission to, to behave differently to how they behave in the classroom. It's also about giving them the opportunity to learn how to behave. Uh, so not behave in a good or bad way, but learn how to be. And I think it's really interesting with what's happened with lockdown, because I think adults are finding it quite difficult because they knew what the rules were within an office environment. Whereas now they're at home, they're struggling because they haven't got those boundaries in place. So I think it's really interesting that we're talking about outdoor play, but how that actually is going to inform our future of how we work as well. Like, you know, you've got to, you've got to understand cues, you've got to put the boundaries in place, but you've got to have that sense of freedom because I said, obviously, um, one of the things that I find uh, an advantage of being outside is a sense of freedom, whereas some people find freedom quite scary because there isn't any boundaries or structures. So for me, listening to what you guys are saying as a mum as well, I'm thinking about the benefits of, of my children having the freedom and understanding what their boundaries are and what they enjoy doing. And I think that's something that gets missed a lot of the time. Absolutely. That's a huge part of children being outside. I think um, taking responsibility for their own safety as well. It's so much easier to teach them in that in, or to allow them the opportunity to learn that in an outdoor environment because the risks that you can take outside are somehow safer or more innate than, than the risks indoors. That's another thing that I think is really, really beneficial about outdoor learning. Yeah, definitely add to that. It's I always find that ironically i think of i mean i'm touching wood as i say this but i've to this day i've had more injuries and head injuries and nosebleeds and splinters in the classroom than i ever had in a forest school session i've never had anyone cut themselves never had anyone burnt by a fire because you 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 talk about those risks and they do that risk analysis themselves and they're much more aware of it yeah, I think back to how I, you know, I played at the age, especially with my youngest, where you'd go out, we used to play in the road and just sort of car whenever it came and then you sort of back away. And I think it's quite interesting sort of the language we use as a parent. So quite often I'll say to my youngest, be careful. And I have to catch myself think, no, you know, I say pay attention. And that was really good balancing and good recovery. And I think it's quite interesting once, once you tap into things like this, you really start to pay attention about the language around risk and actually work so hard to, to keep our kids safe that actually they lose the ability to trust. You know, and I think about, you know, when, when children are toddlers and they don't, they don't have the concept of risk and fear like we do, they'll try things and they'll sort of fall over and then pick themselves up and dust them down and you can notice it. I think the biggest thing for me, though, is how innately we want it. So when I think back to when I was in my corporate life and how we do team building days, so many of those team building days were like massive forest schools. They were outside. We were building things. We were passing each other through big like cobwebs and catapults and things like that. So I think it's it's almost like trying to unlearn this, this idea of safety that that we create as adults. But starting with the language we use, I think is very important.
There is a fantastic book called No Fear. I've got it here. <laughs> Growing Up in a Risk-Averse Society by Tim Gill. It's quite hard to find, but it, it is actually available as a free PDF online if you're willing to search for it. Um, and I read that as part of my forest school training, but I just find it really interesting as a parent as well. And it talks not, it's not specifically just about outdoors, but obviously outdoors comes into it a lot and it talks about playgrounds um but it also does talk about kind of the history of risk aversion in our society and how a few things have led to us being quite risk averse uh, overly so and how that actually leads to more danger for our children um for example playgrounds being more dangerous than a natural woodland environment and also developmentally as well that children if if children are learning to climb a ladder or are learning on a climbing frame, those steps are even and they're, they're using the same muscles for each step. Whereas if they're climbing a tree or walking over an even ground, they're using more core strength. They're learning more about balance. It's, the difference is huge, even if they're doing kind of seemingly the same activity in, in a natural environment. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a newbie to forest school and things like that, really. So I um, obviously didn't experience it myself as a child. I did do outdoor adventure play and stuff like that. Um, my children do have done forest school type things at their school, but I've always kind of looked on it and gone, that's great. They're outside. They're appreciating the outside. What I've never really understood or appreciated, I suppose, is the link to learning, the link to the academic progression of the child. And I suppose some people can look on a forest school and say, that's great, they're having a bit of fun outside. But it'd be interesting to hear from you guys how that links with the development of the child and against the curriculum and those sorts of things. I mean, again, you can look at all these studies and it just reels it off. And I always think if I was to sell it to a head teacher who was unsure or to sell it to the general public, if you could imagine, if you could say to the general public, okay, uh, close your eyes and imagine there's this magic pill and you take it and it increases your learning, increases your critical thinking, it increases your focus in the classroom, it increases your experience and your relationships with others. You'd say, wow, what is it? How much is it? But actually, sometimes it doesn't get talked about a lot because it's free. and people, A lot of people can't make money on it because it's, it's mother nature. Um, so I think in terms of going back to what it does for children, it's just to see it with your own eyes. It's, it's, um, it's really impressive. I mean, I'm just looking at the blog uh, notes here. Um, it can in increase a uh, child's ability to focus. And it's true of adults too, who've experienced an increased sense of focus after just spending two hours a week in, in the outdoors. I think for me, the biggest thing that children develop from forest school is their, that impacts their class, the classroom directly is their sense of self-esteem and resilience because that has such a huge impact on their learning behaviour wherever they are, whatever setting they're in. What do you find the benefits to be for your family and you? What do you personally get from it? The sense of freedom is my absolute favourite thing about it. I think get, getting out of your four walls and allowing, when you're at home, often you're trying to do things as a parent and particularly during this really difficult time of lockdown, if you're trying to work with your child there, there's a lot of kind of, either you're saying no to them a lot or you're stopping yourself from saying no to them a lot, but there's a lot of kind of conflict, whether it's, outward or inward and then suddenly you go outside and you haven't got to keep saying no to them you can just let them be and you can just be so it just gives you so much more headspace also for me personally so my dad used to take us out a lot and he would always try and teach me 
the names of things and I was really hopeless at remembering them and then when I came to do forest school training there's a we have to do a unit about the kind of natural world and I was really kicking myself for not paying attention all that time <laughs> but now I find that my child is really interested in that and really excited about learning to name things, learning to recognize things and learning about kind of natural resources and how they can be useful. So as a, someone who's really passionate about kind of learning, I think that that appeals to me as well. Yeah. Natural resources. I've definitely um, seen a massive difference with my children. So their imaginative like play. So at the beginning of lockdown, um, we were sent different things from the preschool um, that Robin goes to like actions for learning and I was thinking oh, I'm gonna have to create this I'm gonna have to do this I'm gonna have to plan like try it. this is at the start everyone not at the end and then I realized actually it's more about being creative in the resources that you have and natural resources are actually amazing and you can do so much with them so a stick then becomes a magic wand and then you know you can create a hat made out of uh, you know sticky tape and leaves and like it's amazing how if you kind of like it's a different way of thinking so I do feel like it's like a mindset as well isn't it it's like a different way of looking at how to use things and for me, lockdown and what we're speaking about today has been a massive shift in even my mind. And I'd say that I'm quite creative. I think it's quite interesting when you look at that as well. So, you know, we had that conversation early doors, didn't we, about sort of, you know, prepping things. And actually, I've noticed with my two, not, not so much my eldest because she's 14, but, you know, with Lily, she'll... She'll go out in the garden and, you know, she put a Pokemon in the grass and then the Pokemon in the leaves. And, um, we, you know, we spent, we, we decided to buy a swimming pool last week, which is amazing. Yeah. But also I'm realising how much hard work it is. But it meant we spent <laughs> a lot of time in the garden last week. And, and, nice. and stuff she was noticing and a lot of the children have to be educated in a particular way in school because of targets. Just allowing them to get bored but in an environment where there's a lot of stuff around them, you can just see how they're sparking the creativity. And again, I think back to my childhood and I used to spend hours in the garden. You know, I had this whole imaginary world where there was fairies and, you know, I had this amazing fairy doll and she'd live in certain places, but there was nothing apart from me and this doll. So it's quite nice to see that coming back. Something I've really noticed, because we've obviously reached a stage now in the pandemic where children have started to come back to school, more of them, and we've had our year two children back in school the last two weeks. And I've been actually blown away by how how little they've lost of their kind of academic learning, actually. And lots of them, of the ones I've seen, have their handwriting's improved. So I said to them, wow, have you all been practicing your handwriting? Nope. What have, what have you been, we've been playing? And actually, I think sometimes perhaps we underestimate how much children can develop from doing what comes innately to them, which is to play. It's not necessarily the interventions we put in aren't necessarily the be all and end all, perhaps. Yeah, it's just interesting you touched on that theme of play. And when you're talking about, it's almost that old knowledge when you buy them this great big gift for Christmas you turn around and they're in the cardboard box. <laughs> that's what it, that's that sort of thing, isn't it? So and, true. When uh, Ellie and I, we did some uh, forest school CPD recently and uh, I learned about something called play adulteration and I'd never learned that term before, but I realized upon reflection, I was doing it a lot. So play adulteration, the definition, I guess I'm, I'm paraphrasing, 
um, would be if two children are throwing a stick between each other and they're having fun and they're changing it and they've got rule, their own rules to the game and there's an unwritten, unwritten conversation going on in their play, an adult coming along and me stepping in the middle of that space and going, oh, do, well, do you know, actually, if you put a leaf on there, it'll actually go further. And no, if you, if you actually put your left foot back, you'll do that better and you'll enjoy that more. And then what you usually find is two minutes later, they're bored of that game and the two children have gone and ran off and played something else. So I think that's one thing I've had to learn with forest schools is I'm not the leader of the learning. I'm not, the, I'm not, I'm not creating the learning. I'm facilitating it. I think that goes back to as well what we were just talking about the benefits for for me as a parent and as a teacher when we go outside is that it actually does allow allow you to step back and sometimes it's really difficult to step back as you just said Chris but but you learn I learn have learned so much more about my own child from just observing his play and my children in school from observing their play than I do when I go and ask them to count the sticks or measure the sticks or whatever the kind of you feel like you've got to be doing something to teach them but they learn so much more from their own intrinsic yeah I, I've definitely found that as well in there and what was like my phrase was a sense of freedom and what I found not just outdoors as well is you know when they get all the toys out and they're all over the shop and I'd be like oh we need to tidy them up come on I've been more aware of like allowing them to stay there because it's part of their their learning and part of them developing as a person and although that's really hard because my house then looks an absolute mess which it does most of the time now it is about allowing that to happen because you know I always laugh because on Instagram there's this Stacey Sullivan and she does tap to tidy and I'm like tap to destruction <laughs> because like it might start really nice and then suddenly honestly it's like horrendous but I think it's almost like accepting that you know it isn't meant to be perfect. Nothing's meant to be perfect. It's meant to be enjoyable. And also like you were saying, Chris, about stepping in and saying, oh, do this, do that. I'm really aware of not doing that as well and like allowing that to happen. And I'd almost say before lockdown, I'd call that like, is that them being bored and almost me being a bad parent because I'm not including myself in that game or that, that playing. But actually I've, I've realized that me stepping into that is actually sometimes a bad thing like I should just let it be and I think that's a really big thing isn't it as a parent to understand it is uh, Charlotte just picking up on your embracing the mess we had a, a, a <laughs> an incident last week I don't think we've put the, the photos up on social yet I don't think some of them are appropriate to put on social but uh we, we in our garden we've got a huge we've always had a trampoline since we've had kids well, I think we're on about our third or fourth now but this is like a 14 foot trampoline and there's like a bold patch underneath where there's no grass. <laughs> so while I was at working away last week, I went downstairs sort of after doing a stint of work and the, all the kids were outside absolutely covered from head to toe in mud. So they'd moved the trampoline, they'd dosed it with the, the hose pipe and they were playing proper mud fighting in there. Brilliant. And I just thought this is the sort of thing that in years to come, they'll say, remember that lockdown. Do you remember that yeah. time when we were in the garden and we just got covered head to toe in mud? And other things that you take take with you, and you know, learning, remembering, all those things that are activated while you're doing that. And yeah, yeah we've just moved the trampoline back across now. But it just it just reminded me that you know, yeah, these are the memories that you take with you and and doing things outside, doing things with your with your siblings and your friends. An interesting thing that I just wanted to move on to though is uh, I was reading the blog about obviously um, how technology is amazing. 
it's taken us like leaps and strides on. Um, we all love doing things via our technology and how convenient and all is. And we've locked down, we can shop online, we can get these things and we're probably doing more of that now. Um, but thinking about this outdoor space, thinking about technology and maybe that, when I think about forest school, I think about younger children accessing it. But as my kids are getting older and I'm looking at that, that teenage group and things like that and getting outside and things, it's really interesting to explore that. And, it's, and with the younger kids, you know, whether they're eight, seven, six, they want to be on tablets, they want to be on technology. Um, and I think as a, as a family, we quite actively try and get the balance right. Um, but I think it can be so hard because there's a real habit formed around technology that I'm guilty of, you know, I'll go on to check my emails and then I'll be on the phone looking at Facebook for an hour. Um, it's easily done for us. How do we stop our kids doing that? And I think being outside and having out, outdoor stimuluses, stimuli is really important. So what role can it play there? I suppose. It's also about being present, isn't it? Because I think that's the problem with technology. It, it really, I mean, especially, so my job is, digital focused so I tend to be online a lot um, and one of the things that I've really tried to be aware of and do more of is like you're saying Ben be more present in the moment which is really quite difficult to do unless you're aware of it so actually going outside and this sounds ridiculous but like just being quiet and just listening to like the noises and for like lockdown it meant that places weren't obviously busy because people couldn't go out so you could actually hear things that you'd never heard before. And that's like been a massive thing that I want to carry on and carry forward that I think is so important for your health, isn't it? So we have a, I have an intentional no tech outside thing at home. <laughs> My son, something he'll do is he'll pretend to be making a YouTube video. So he might see some bluebells and he'll say, hey guys and girls. And he'll be like doing a little YouTube commentary. So <laughs> you can't completely avoid it. <laughs> no, that's the problem, isn't it? But you can separate it a little bit as well. Like I love taking um, photographs and obviously your phone is now um, your camera. Um, but obviously when we were growing up, that was never the case. And even, you know, when I was at uni, you had a separate camera, like you didn't have it on your phone. And I think actually I'm at a point now where I'm thinking I'm going to invest um, in a camera myself. It doesn't have to be really posh or anything, but so I can actually like leave my phone and actually have a camera that's intentionally for that purpose. And I think the problem is with technology is everything merges into one. And that's what you've put obviously within the blog. You can do your food shopping, you can chat with friends, you can get your work email, you can check the weather, everything's so available and instant that what's you know why would you not always have your phone but actually it's really important to have those breaks yeah i must admit that is something i'm really uh guilty of again to be of an oxymoron because i am like mr outdoors and i love being outdoors but a uh, big confession if i am on my phone it's just a rabbit hole uh, you could mm -hmm. lose an hour two hours just scrolling through videos or updating your news feed and it, I wouldn't, I would never say technology is inherently bad because it's got some great upsides to it, loads of upsides. And I would never want to go back to, you know, pre smartphones. Um, but one thing I do find is that when I'm indoors on screen, I, I, like you said, I'm not present. I'm either thinking about the future, I'm thinking about the past. Uh, I'm either comparing with others. Um, and even if my Wi-Fi is off for 20 seconds, I get grouchy. I'm like, come on, come on. Why is it not working? Uh, and when I was actually looking to research different different um, ways that nature can make you uh, present, 
I've, I stumbled across a great word, and now I'm probably going to say it wrong. It's a Japanese word. It's called yugen, Y-U-G-E-N. I was going to read the definition because I just thought that sums everything up about nature in a deep sense that I could never uh, eloquently get across. Uh, it's an awareness of nature and the universe that triggle, triggers emotional responses too deep and powerful for words. I was just like, that's what it is. Wow. Me. That's <laughs> when I'm in nature and I'm present and you get in that stillness in that so other thing I found I stumbled across is grace. And, it, and I find grace when I'm outdoors and I'm just looking, just something silly like looking at the swans. And the thing is about grace, people think that you, that you sit there and it comes and finds you and it comes from a whatever, it's a magical thing. But actually I think you find it, you must seek it. And it's, it's always there, but you must go out and find it. It's not gonna to come to you. It's funny actually, cause you know, holidays aren't officially happening this year for all of us but um usually if we go away as a family i will seek to go in the middle of nowhere in france and there's like nothing there and people are like why are you going there but i used to go when i was a child but i just find that sense of like you say like being within nature where there's nothing is so important because it's just so busy like everything's so busy there's so many messages there's so much technology and like you chris i love it and there's so much you can do that is good with technology but i think as a human it's deep set that you also need those moments without it to develop yourself i think quite often it, it, the wording we use we've actually we just changed the word technology to attention then people get it actually it's you know it's not it's not the tech that it's the problem it's the attention so like i you know my my girls will always have a go at me because I'm, I'm, my nose is normally in a book and actually that that is about attention being elsewhere you know there is a role modeling there and it's good that they see that i'm reading however when my my two complain it's actually not the phone it's the fact i'm not giving them attention and i think like you say technology itself has been um demonized as such but actually you know mo most of us wouldn't have a business or an ability you know in the last three months if technology didn't exist the world would look or, or the way that technology is now the world for the last three months would have been different but yeah if we sort of reprofile it to attention then it almost brings back the sort of where the control lies is that I can choose where I put my attention. So quite often I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put my phone on airplane because then, you know, all the notifications are off. I'll charge it in another room because again, you know, and there's a lot of psychology around that, you know, in terms of Charlotte probably understands it better than me. You know, it's created to become habit forming because there's a financial drive about it. So if we just change it to like, I don't want to put my attention there. I want to put it somewhere different. All of a sudden it feels a lot more positive and, a little bit more back in control then or you use it to complement it as well so there might be opportunities where um i know i don't know what it's called now but there's like an app that's like a nature app and you can check what things are called like you were saying eleanor because i'm terrible i never remember anything and that's so cool that you can get that information so i think it's about using it to support the outdoor activity and sometimes that can be really um, beneficial but I think like we've been speaking about there's there's room for getting outside and I think Eleanor your rule for no technology outside is fantastic as well but it's just important you get outside and I think because we've all been locked away <laughs> which feels like for so long it's also remembering why it's beneficial to do it because when you've been inside for so long and we've been told to not go out you almost convince yourself, well, there's no point. 
when actually you're missing out on so much by doing that you're depriving yourself and your family of that one thing I've really appreciated about this lockdown time and, and working from home for quite a lot of it is actually I feel like more connected to the seasons than I ever have been before because our world's got so much smaller didn't they so suddenly I'd be always visiting the same nature spot or I'd be going into my garden every day whereas often when I'm working I might not do that really other than to get the washing in or out until the weekend and so I feel like that's really enhanced my relationship and that's something that I hope to kind of hang on to. I think for me you know I I always look at my I have my phone next to my bed um, I'm running my own businesses I've got things that would need my attention at the drop of a hat and so I kind of justify to myself that I you know I can't have that in a different room charging uh, I can't have it away from me it has to be next to me but becoming more conscious about what I use what technology I use certain things for so I've known of people who've said well yeah I need to be on Facebook at times but it doesn't need to be on my phone and making more conscious decisions about what we actually need uh, and what we're just using as a distraction um, is really important and saying well actually I can just operate with Facebook on my on my laptop I don't need it on my phone I only need it for work or I only need it for work for the next month and let's see how that goes so starting to make more conscious decisions about not just how we use technology but how we spend our time as well so I think lockdown helped us to say you've got an hour today to go outside and it's like right we're really conscious about making the most of that hour but why are we only conscious about that now why aren't we conscious about that all the time why aren't we saying like we've got a saturday what are we going to do with it how can we consciously pack things in that that, that feed us and give us what we need i remember speaking to you claire about this because like the government said you had an hour to go out for a walk claire did it you went out every day for an hour talk about black and white and you smashed that hour but it's whether or not you fit it into the routine moving forward but I think that's really it's interesting to think of that because if you're told you must go out like like at school you get like a lunch time you get a break it seems a lot easier to be in that structure doesn't it I think a lot of it comes down to sort of what you value and where you put your value. And I think as a society, um, you know, pre-COVID, what we valued about what was success and what was important was different. And actually, ultimately losing our freedom temporarily makes you reprofile. And sort of, you know, I joked about the fact I live within walking distance of Sutton Park. And I've, I lived um, within walking distance of Sutton Park between the ages of seven and 18. And then in the last 10 years, sort of just, just from turn 30. In the last three months, I know I've been in Sutton Park more than the previous 10 years because I couldn't. But also, you know, again, like you're saying, Elena, sort of finding different parts and recognising different parts. And, it, you know, because time feels different at the moment in terms of where we're allocating it. And, you know, we're, we're not having to rush off to do the, you know, for, for most of us, you know, not having to do the commute and not having to drop the kids off in certain places or get to the gym, not they ever did. You know, all those types of things have disappeared. Um, and actually, it, it, you know, this, this, this whole idea of being told you can't do something makes it very, very appealing. But also we're in a position now where it's very, very easy to let that slide really far down on, um, you know, on the list of priorities. And for me, it's a case of the stubborn person in me was like, right, well, I'm going to go out literally for an hour every single day and no one's going to stop me. Interestingly, again, something about my psyche, since we've been allowed to go out as many times of the day, I'm not going out for an hour walk every single day. I am out and about, 
but so, so there's definitely something there in terms of, of how we interact with our spine uh, time and where we put our attention so so much about what's important to us and it's taking stock of how we felt in the last three months and how we're actually going to make some differences going forward do you find that when you say we're going to do forest school that changes people's um way of interacting with you yeah definitely i think um sometimes we're not careful we can be caught in a bit of a trap of doing as opposed to being so we're doing we're uh we're cutting we're writing we're reading we're walking we're doing all these different things but actually sometimes it's more important to be before you do so we're being grateful we're being kind we're being compassionate we're being thoughtful and patient so i think forest schools gives there's more space for that i think children can be before they have to do and I think sometimes we're obsessed with what are we doing? What are we doing? What's next? And actually just have that space to be. Nurture Community CIC engage with the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation and increase community spirit. The bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community CIC. We're a collective of souls who are on a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online within our Facebook group, Nurture Natter, or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram. And Twitter, you can find us at Nurture Ideas.